I'm Tinashe Tandy, and welcome to the CFA UK In Conversation podcast. This is the show for investment professionals, focusing on a whole manner of topics and interesting insights that are affecting the profession today. In this episode, I'm talking to Tia Counts, Executive Director and Global Corporate and Investment Bank and EMEA Head of Advancing Black Leaders Programme for JP Morgan. In an industry where only 1% of individuals identify as Black, we're going to talk about the experiences and challenges faced by Black professionals, what the successes have been through the programme at JP Morgan, and most importantly, actions that you can follow individually and at a firm level to work towards increasing the representation of Black individuals within the investment profession and creating a truly inclusive work culture. Thanks very much for joining us today, Tia. What is the Advancing Black Leaders Programme and why was it established? First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here and um, speak to everybody. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, the Advancing Black Leaders Initiative, which is a firm-wide diversity strategy that we run uh, at J.P. Morgan, was originally established in 2016 uh, in America. Um, and that was very much intentionally uh, brought about because our CEO, Jamie Diamond, um, noticed a need to be intentional around certain diversity stripes. Um, we had done a very good job of recruiting and retaining um, vets and former military personnel um, because we thought that there was a good um, use for those uh, the skills that they have and that they were a nice fit for the company and that the world needed to really make um, a special uh, intention around um, recruiting vets. And we thought we could um, extend some of that thinking to the Advancing Black Leaders Directive and we created ABL, um, which we now have launched in uh, EMEA in 2018. So summer of 2018, we brought it to this region. Um, essentially what it is, is a reason to know that you're headed in the right direction for Black talent. It's a way of being very intentional around Black talent and learning some lessons, as I mentioned from VETS and other initiatives, to apply those to the Black representation and Black experience. Um, the goal of ABL is not only to increase and retain uh, top black talent as if at the company, but also to use what we learn uh, to extend to other diverse communities. So um, in EMEA, you'll hear more uh, talk about BAME as a, as a um, industry. We, we like to think of black and minority ethnic as a group. The black uh, talent is within BAME and anything that we uh, learn uh, with our focus on black, we will extend to the other uh, diverse communities. With the program, kind of what kind of issues and challenges did you encounter when kind of starting up and how have these evolved over time? A great question. So initially, um, we looked around the company and we discovered that even though we thought we were doing everything we could to recruit uh, diverse teams, we really felt that you needed to do something uh, to be intentional about Black talent. And um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, Black people, both in the U.S. and in EMEA, and let's speak specifically about the U.K., um, do not make up a majority of the population. So in order to ensure that you are finding the Black talent that you know is in the market, you have to actually start to look on purpose and really be very intentional about the way you recruit. Um, secondly, um, we, we noticed that, for example, the experience of Black people in financial services generally was that um, there were fewer of them um, within many companies such as ours and other similar companies, including 
um, accountancy firms and law firms, et cetera. And so we thought there was something to be learned from that experience around how to ensure that your company is truly inclusive, um, looking for talent in the right places and making sure that the experience of, of the employees once they come to the company um, is very positive. So that's really what we started to think hard about, how to change um, the look of the company going forward, how to make sure we were really recruiting for top talent that would stick and how to make sure finally that the experience uh, was as rich as it needed to be and as it should be for us to build uh, strength on strength over the years. And how do you how do you think that journey has kind of gone so far? Because you talked about a bit about the kind of feel of the company. How do you feel that JP Morgan has changed and how has the feel of it changed over time? Sure, I think that's a really good question. Um, we've always been a company that believed in inclusivity and we believe that diversity is good for business. It's not just good for um, the employees to work with people that are from different backgrounds, but it's very much a, a differentiator for our clients. So we have approached diversity, JP Morgan, from the perspective of it's the best thing for everyone involved. Our teams are stronger. Um, we all know that there are many studies that demonstrate that diverse thinking uh, keeps you from something called groupthink. So you have some diverse uh, perspectives that come to the table that lead to better outcomes. You get to different results from a team building perspective and, a, and an outcome perspective. Um, our clients also respect and appreciate being served by diverse teams. So for example, where you are doing business in a city such as London, it would make sense for your team that you show up to a team meeting with a team that reflects the diversity of London. So one of the things we really wanted to do when we're thinking about representation for the long-term was realize that the demographics are changing in the world and they were therefore change within finance. And therefore we needed to be in a position to make sure that we were mirroring the communities of which we serve. And we really wanted to try to do that um, just starting at the very base level of what types of companies are we serving? What types of cities are we working in? And what can we do to make sure that our teams reflect those? Um, so one thing we did notice was that everyone understood the business case for diversity. So we didn't have to really do that much work around the business case. What people didn't realize and what I think we really learned along the way was that you can't get there um, by, by default. So if you do what you've always done, you will have what you've always had. And if we looked at our company and we didn't think that the mix was quite right, that meant we needed to do something different. So we were very intentional around learning that past behaviors needed to be amended and tweaked around the edges in order to get a different result. Um, we doubled down on our focus on looking for talent and being very intentional about recruiting. We doubled down on our focus on um, being ensuring that our processes were inclusive and were fair. And we also doubled down on awareness. So we wanted to make sure that we used um, senior leaders who were really much driving the diversity strategy. One thing I should have mentioned was that although I run ABL, I run ABL in partnership with all of our HR teams and in particular in partnership with the senior leaders of the company who are dedicated to getting a certain um, outcome. So just like any other major business initiative, um, we decided that if we wanted to be um, serious about black talent and really attract the best talent and keep the best talent, we should treat this initiative as we would another business initiative. And that means 
outcomes, measurable outcomes, uh, done with intentionality, looking for a result that you look for in a specific time and a time frame, and you keep going from there. So I hope that answers the question. It's been a long two years uh, in, the, in EMEA, and I think we've learned a lot about how to um, recruit and ensure that we are bringing the full firm uh, to, to the organization when we look for talent. You mentioned um, a bit about kind of a um, inclusive process, a fair and inclusive process around kind of recruitment. What, what does that look like in practice? So one thing that we learned, um, and I think a lot of companies will be able to relate to this when they think about gender balance. So we're quite used to thinking about how do you attract more women to a company? Well, if you show women that they have a chance to succeed and that the company is welcoming and open and respects their talents, and appreciates their difference and appreciates their perspective, then you should probably have a pretty good chance of keeping uh, women interested in working for your company and in staying and thriving. So we took a very similar approach when we think about black talent and we knew that it was important to celebrate and recognize the unique perspective, which is a lived experience of black people um, in the cities that we're living and working in. And we wanted to make sure that they understood that we are um, particularly interested in that experience and in those talents and in those gifts. So when we think about um, processes, um, one clear example is when you show up to a recruiting event or to a sort of um, a opportunity to find talent and recruit, you know, are you doing that reflecting the talent that you are looking to recruit? When you show up to recruit for technologists, you don't bring your quants, you bring your technologists. Um, so in a similar vein, when you show up to recruit for women, you should bring women because we know that there may be a different level of conversation that can be had um, if you're actually on purpose looking for a certain uh, demographic, uh, looking to demonstrate, I should say, your interest um, and that was a pretty, pretty uh, quick lesson for us in how to ensure that we were sending the right signals around what we were interested in. So that's just an example. Thank you. Um, so as obviously the program is kind of evolving and it's evolved over time, what practices have you enhanced since the establishment of the program, kind of looking back and reflecting and saying, okay, we need to put a bit more behind this kind of initiative. Could you elaborate on that a bit more? Uh, sure. So I think one of the, um, you know, we're talking a lot about representation and representation is, is a topical conversation to be having right now, because I think the world is really um, having a bit of a reckoning with race and thinking hard about the experience of Black people, both in and out of the workplace. Um, so when I, when I think about what, what types of um, particular strategies we've, we've developed in order to ensure that we're focusing on representation. Um, one thing that I encourage all companies to do and that Jacob Morgan has been doing uh, for some time is to try to get comfortable um, with your data. And that means taking a very active approach to understanding um, what is your current representation um, what are your objectives, setting yourself some goals, um, thinking about how you would measure yourself against those goals, but really taking the first step, which is 
being very consciously aware of who is um, in the building, as they say. So when you um, look at uh, diversity data is, of course, a very sensitive topic. And in the UK, we talk about self-ID, which means that employees um, self-disclose how they identify, and that can be along any number of diverse stripes um, and other non-diverse stripes, but it helps you understand what is the talent mix that you have in the building, um, where might your gaps be, where do you think you might have an opportunity to grow. Um, but the first question, I think, and there's a very important one for all companies in the industry is, you know, how much do you understand your actual makeup and your current demographic? And that usually comes down to data. Um, once you start to put some good governance around how to keep the data safe, that's the very most, uh, most important thing. Employees' um, data is very, very sensitive. So um, usually you would want to have that in a very controlled uh, situation where only the um, most people and the seat who need to have the information within HR would have access to the information. But the important thing is to get started and gathering the information if you don't have it, because I think it's quite difficult to set a goal that you haven't established and to sort of hit a target that you haven't already established. So um, just as an example, I think I would say, you know, we started gathering and, and trying to make sure we knew how to analyze our data um, early on. And I think it's been the reason that we can um, say with some confidence that we're making uh, good progress. And what feedback have you received from clients in relation to the program? Well, clients are really um, great barometers to figure out if you're on the right track. Uh, so most of our clients have been with us on the journey um, and are doing their own journeys to representation because, again, the um, challenges for representation from an ethnicity perspective are not unique to JP Morgan. Uh, we know that most of the industry um, has grappled with representation uh, has not necessarily been as welcoming to this talent uh, in years past as, as people are realizing that um, they should be in terms of demonstrating that welcoming. So our clients um, have been actually quite interested in understanding um, our journey and understanding how we think about um, representation and how we think about uh, creating a sense of belonging and inclusion. And so we've been really happy to sort of stand with them um, as they stand up their own uh, plans and projects. Um, one key consideration that we often share with clients is the importance and the value of a business resource group or uh, an employee network group. They're also called a ENG. Some, some people have different names for them. But this is a way to uh, take a really concrete first step in helping the company harness the power of the employees that they already have who are either fitting a certain demographic or um, understand and share the objective of building a demographic. So you may have allies who are not, if, you're, if your employee resource group is focusing on black talent, you may have non-black allies who are enlisted in helping to push the envelope where black representation is concerned and that means getting involved in all sorts of activities that create and celebrate uh, black excellence and black culture. 
Um, the employee resource groups are incredibly powerful because they not only help bind the employees who are uh, at the company uh, together in a way that can be crucial if you're looking at small numbers and a sense of belonging um, that's enhanced by having a, a people in the building that you can talk to. Um, but they're also really helpful in terms of helping guide senior leaders to what some of the um, experiences that the demographic is experiencing that might not be visible to them otherwise. So they can be helpful in things like reverse mentoring. They can be helpful in activities, just um, awareness raising activities um, throughout George Floyd um, and the response to George Floyd. Many of our clients have spoken to us about how to use this moment to ensure that they are um, galvanizing their efforts around um, building their talent base and enriching this talent base, which they were already on the path of, but now with a renewed urgency as we see how this plays out um, in the world uh, globally. And I've encouraged them to use employee networks to um, ensure that they're engaging with their talent and ensure that they are creating a space that's a safe space uh, for um, Black people and others to um, raise a red flag if they're seeing uh, anything that needs to be addressed and that might not find its way uh, to senior management without the, the network. So I think it's really important um, to, to flag that. And I think our clients have been actually very receptive and very interested in, uh, in these efforts. And I think really looking to see how they can um, en enhance their own uh, companies as well. And you touched on the notion of um, allies and being an ally just now. And I think a question that often comes up from people is, well, how do I how do I be a good ally? From your experience, what do you think being a good ally looks like? Okay, that's I love this question because actually I get this question quite a bit. Um, we know so many people who um, feel uh, somewhat uh, tangential to the mission of increasing representation and enhancing the experience of inclusion because they don't fit within the uh, description of the group. And, and I always say to them, that's okay because most of the people at the company are in the same position you're in. So there's a reason that you're focusing on representation. It's because you're not in the position where you have equally distributed um, all of the roles at the company. So the allies role is really important for that reason because they are fundamentally uh, the glue that will help you drive your culture. Um, one of the things that I think a good ally can always do is to think about their unique position um, within the organization and what they would have to bring to someone who is in a minority um, position. So for example, if you're an ally and you don't have a vast network of, of, um, of acquaintances of this particular group, you're not necessarily going to be helpful in terms of introducing people to the company that might want to work there. However, you may have another special skill or um, an access to a network internally where you could introduce someone from the employee network uh, into another conversation where they haven't had a way in previously. So being a good ally is, um, it's so vast. It really just depends on that person's uh, standing, uh, their level of seniority. Um, even very junior people can be excellent allies because being an ally is also just about listening 
um, creating a safe space. Um, I encourage people to also use their voices. So if you're in a conversation where you're hearing um, things that would make you uncomfortable, if you were in the minority group, you know, using your voice is also being a good ally, using your voice to stand up and speak out and, and, and maybe um, correct some behaviors that um, would not be behaviors you would appreciate. But also allyship takes the, the form of uh, mentoring. It can take the form of, um, you know, uh, casual um, introductions. It can take the form of more regular sponsorship. It can take the form of uh, being a connector. It all depends on what's in that particular person's um, gift and what their talents are, but everybody has something to bring. Um, I think the ally programs are so impactful. You know, at JP Morgan, we've had uh, the Pride Ally Group has been probably the longest standing. And what was so beautiful about watching that become the, um, the, the fundamental part of the LGBT uh, journey that it is, is because it was about safe space creation. Initially, it was literally just that simple to say, I'm an ally, I'm someone you can talk to, I'm someone who's going to always have an open ear and I'll be a sounding board and I will be a safe space. And what that did was it allowed our LGBT community to know that they weren't alone, that their numbers were growing, but their support was larger than their um, resource group may have indicated. And it just created this wonderful wave of, of inclusivity and support. And so we've tried to learn from that um, program as around, you know, what, what does it take to be a good ally? And I've always said, anything is better than nothing. So doing anything, even if it's a small thing that might seem small to you, but it might seem very, very large to the person who is feeling more included, feeling more welcome, feeling more at home at the company because of that gesture. So I love that question. I really encourage people to actively um, get involved and be, become an ally. What key actions would you recommend for smaller firms that maybe don't potentially recruit as regularly or maybe feel that they don't have the infrastructure in place to kind of affect the real change that they want to, want to see happen? And what advice would you give to them to increase black representation within okay. their firms? Yeah, so smaller companies have a bit more of a challenge because they don't often have um, lots of uh, experience and they may not have the infrastructure or the resources to really run um, a large scale program. Um, in that case, I would advise them to really try to keep it simple and not try to overcomplicate um, anything and just start small. The most important thing is to get started, even if it's a small step. So to the extent that they are running um, searches and looking for talent, um, they want to make sure that they're casting their net as wide as possible. Um, when you're using uh, specialist external search firms can also be a good way to do this. But when you're using um, any sort of uh, vendors to help with representation, it's really important to be very specific with them uh, that you want to see the widest variety and the widest and most diverse group possible. And that way you will not close the door to potential candidates. You'll actually have your vendors um, on your side helping you um, extend your search. Most of the reasons that small companies don't have representation isn't because there aren't people out there who can 
uh, excel at the role. It's because they haven't been intentional in their search and in opening their search to um, all diverse groups and all segments. So it's really important to just do something just as straightforward as being really clear that I want to see a variety of talent for this role. I do not want to only see the three people at my number one competitor who I already know. I want to see a wide variety. Um, so that's number one. Uh, but I think it's important that you say that to them because otherwise they don't, they, they don't know what you're looking for. Um, the second thing I would say is really important to do is um, engage with the talent that is in your building. So engage with the people that already work for you and try to get a sense for um, any blind spots that you might have that are inadvertently creating uh, an environment that might not feel as inclusive as you think it does. So it's really important to be honest and to create a safe space um, for these employees. But I think it's really an easy, uh, fairly easy ask, but harder to do, uh, which is to really try to see your company from the perspective of someone who is not in the majority. So if you walked through the doors as a graduate and you were the only black woman, how would you feel how would the people who are in your company um, respond to this person? How do you think they're responding? And do you think they're doing everything they can to demonstrate inclusive behaviors? Um, inclusivity is one of these funny things that often we try to remind ourselves, it's not just not doing any harm, it's actually being active. So inclusive behaviors are behaviors that open the conversation to someone who doesn't feel invited to speak. Um, we, we are a big um, multi-jurisdictional firm. And, and often a, an example I like to share, which gives people a real visual, is when I'm hosting a call back in the physical world and we're all sitting around a conference room and there are two people on video and they're sitting in APAC, I'm very intentional that I speak to them and I open the floor for them and specifically ask them, do you have anything to contribute? Do you have a comment? And, you know, call them by their name because they, they will just feel outside just because they're not in the room. So we have to think about it in that way. I think inclusivity is really specifically inviting people to join the conversation. It's not enough to just have the line open. You have to do that extra step. Uh, and so we should think about that way, uh, diversity more generally and inclusivity more specifically uh, to, to, to cover those things. It, it's it's the sort of um, take the moment to out of body, think of how you would be experiencing if it if it were um, your experience. So it's, it's really about just trying to learn to walk in someone else's shoes a bit. Uh, so I think those would be the two things I would, I would recommend to a smaller company. Yeah. And my final question um, is around since kind of launching the program and seeing how it's kind of progressed and developed, what has the experience been of black individuals within JP Morgan? Kind of what is their feedback and how have they, how have they enjoyed seeing themselves develop? It's mm, a really good question. Yeah. So when I first started, um, when we first launched, I did ask myself, what will success look like? And obviously I had uh, a numerical target in my mind. And I also had, as in a representation percentage target in my mind. Um, but I also had, um, and, and by target, I mean a goal that I thought this would be successful if I'm able to increase our representation 
you know, we don't have any quotas and we don't believe in quotas at David Morgan. And that's a simple reason for that is we want the best person for the role, for every role. And we want to be um, nurturing all of our talent uh, in a way that creates the best overall experience for our clients. Um, that said, if you're looking to increase representation, it's helpful to have a sense of what you think representation should start to approximate. Um, and that can be, as I mentioned, a reflection of the city in which you're working, the talent pool that's in that industry, et cetera. Um, but when I started to ask myself, what will I, how will I know that I've been successful? The one thing that kept coming to me was when the people who work here feel that their experience is different, feel that their aspirations can now uh, be limitless and feel that this is a firm that really appreciates their talents and has nurtured them and that they know where they're going. Um, and that's exactly the feedback that we've received. We've had uh, so many of our um, junior members um, get involved in the mission and tell me that they love being a part of being a change, a positive change for our culture. Um, we've had more senior people reaching their aspirations. We've had people say to me things like, I now know I can make it to the top level at this company. I'm, I'm confident that I will get on my path and I will reach my goals. So it's really that qualitative um, feedback that I think lets me know that we're doing something uh, really right. We do, of course, see our representation uh, numbers growing, which is fantastic. But it's the quality of how um, people are experiencing their day-to-day -day that, to me, marks the true success of a diversity strategy. Because the inclusion is only, um, it, the diversity is only useful if you have the inclusion. So you must, you must have representation, but then people need to feel that they belong um, in order to stay uh, at the company. So that's, to me, that's a big success of ABL so far. Perfect. Thank you so much. And I love that you said feeling like your aspirations are limitless. I think that's, I think that's yes. great, great way to look at things. And it's been great to speak to you. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity. That's been really fun.